0: Good afternoon, good morning. Whatever time of day it is that you're tuning in, you have found the world's greatest podcast. Mindful Conversations with Matt and Rob. And Hi our, Matt. And our very special <laughs> guest, Sandy. So good to have you here this afternoon.
1: Thanks for inviting me.
0: Yes. She she chose to come back. Yes. Well, most people when they get a taste of this, they can't wait to get back. <laughs> this is me and my ego. <laughs> You know, we are on episode 27 and I, I missed it. I missed it on 25. My favorite movie is The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. (sighs) Yes. Ben Stiller. Yes. And what was the, the, the center of the controversy? Negative 25. This was a, he was a negative asset manager in the movie and life magazine was being dumped for paper to go to digital. We're talking about digital dilemma today. And so this put the whole company into a crisis, but Sean, this field photographer, this adventure, right. Played by Sean Penn, um, had put negative 25 in a gift wallet. Um, and which was supposed to be like a, a gift and a surprise and an honor for Walter mm-hmm. and, um, when they did the 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 role and they were developing it, negative twenty five was missing, and that's what the company was going to use as their quintessential cover piece for the last paper edition of Life Magazine. Oh, okay. So I'm I'm looking at you guys saying you guys haven't watched the Secret Life of Walter Mitty. No. Well, no. Th- put put that on your to do list. I can. <clears throat> and so um, Walter then goes on this. He was kind of a timid guy. Just imagine, like the white short-sleeve collared shirt with the pencil protector. Yes, like that kind of guy. Like play it safe always. Conservative. Conservative. Type of just yeah. go to your lab, develop the photography. Do it. Go home do. Yep. and just keep doing the same thing over again. So he got the the beauty of the message of this movie is. He gets taken away from like this digital like concrete structure and ended up going on these world adventures to try to locate negative twenty five, and that's why I missed episode twenty five because it's my favorite. <laughs> I think one of my one of my best friends, Bubbles, you know Matt mm-hmm. Ibe, he gave oh, yeah. he gave me the wallet that Sean gave Walter. Nice. I literally have it. It's it's just fantastic. So that's just a little peek and. Um, I left my phone at home today, and I was driving, and I didn't care. Nice. (laughs) You know, as we talk about digital consumption and digital, like, um, addiction or dependency, I was really tested. Like, how big of a claw did that have on me? Yeah. And I said, "Ah," I was, like, 15 minutes away from home, and I could easily have gone back. But, like, why do I need it? I'm fine. I've got, like, my computer. I can text if I need to. Um, but I was proud of myself. Nice job! I, I passed a little test. Well, good. So, if you are tuning into this episode, um, we this is part two of the digital dilemma, the idea that we are wanting to pay attention to how digital consumption is affecting us individually, culturally, and really as a globe with the developments of the the war in. Um, Russia against the Ukraine. Social media has played a big part of that. But we talked last time about the the documentary called "The Social Media Dilemma" on Netflix, and um, today we're going to continue that conversation. But what did we talk about in part one? What were the takeaways from the two of you um, that you found interesting or that you would you would want to bring back?
2: I I think that. Um, one of the takeaways for me was just the prevalence of it. You know, as we talked about it and the history of it, it was like, oh, this thing is emerging quicker and at a faster pace. It's bigger than what it initially looked like back in the day, right? Mm-hmm. So you don't always you don't, you're not always aware of the unintended consequences of something. And that's kind of what I was looking at. The, the, uh, you know, the way that technology is re-engineering relationships and culture and information.
0: Yes. Mm -hmm.
1: I think it was also interesting for me to, I have a little bit fewer more years to look back on than either of you two do, but, um, just looking at my childhood and young adult years, which were totally media-free, and just thinking about the effect on today's youth and society that know nothing else other than social media, digital technology, um, everything at their fingertips. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, it is a big, it's a different world.
0: It is a different world. There is a, a comment made regarding the, uh, the rapid um, advancement of technology regarding the microprocessor in the, in the documentary that I mentioned. And they showed a graph, like how quickly it, it, it continued to exponentially grow, right? And um, <clears throat> over a very short period of time, mm-hmm. I mean, the automobile right? That has evolved over time slowly, right? And now now we're obviously the the evolution of transportation. Electric cars are are now the primary big selling point. You see that on TV for sales pitches and things like that. I think there's some government regulations by 2025. You know, you got to have a certain number of your manufacturing going electric. So we live in a world of expansive technology advancement. Yeah. And and we those of us who were part of this this system prior to really all of that and now fully in it. Like my father-in-law, 84 years old, I'm his IT guy and we just moved him from an iPhone 6 to an iPhone 13. Okay. And and we had to because his apps are no longer updating because Apple's not supporting the operating system. Right. And so I get him into an iPhone 13 and, you know, thankfully Apple's pretty much the same no matter what you get, but there's a learning curve and here he is just, you know, we're trying to figure out some of the little nuances, but he's finding himself, how do I keep up with this? And he's one of the guys that uses emojis when he texts, which I think is pretty cool. That is cool. For an 84 year old. Yeah. He texts. He texts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, so we're talking about, um, today, we're talking about the consequences of the use of digital technology. So let's go ahead and open up that part of our conversation, children, adolescents, adults, you know, relationships. Let's talk about that. What comes to mind when we think of the consequences
2: on the, go ahead. on the, on the positive side, it would be access to information. And processing information at a speed to to your point earlier that was not possible, like when your father-in-law was a kid or a young man. Mm-hmm. And so, on the positive side, that information acquisition, I also think there's an there's a potential upside in terms of I can now connect with my friends in various parts of the world. Mm-hmm and i can see them on zoom or talk to them on phone or text or what what have you so there's that as a positive piece on the negative side i think it's creating social isolation and addiction it's 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 the brain doesn't make good distinctions in terms of dopamine rush and high and um the way it processes that feel-good experience. And that, that creates, you know, on a broken planet, not everything can be a feel-good experience or ought to be. Mm-hmm.
1: I also think it's been a few years since I've spent much time in restaurants, but um, going out to restaurants and seeing families sitting around the table and everybody looking at their individual device. Um, just very little interaction. Physically, they're there. But I guess, as Rob said, it's creating isolation. You're not, you know, at a time when you're supposed to be having fun and social and comparing what you're ordering. Everybody's sitting there looking at a little screen. Um, so I, I think that's having a big impact on society, families, Um, many of our institutions.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's it's stealing our ability to be emotionally present with another human. Like Sandy just referenced, you know, what are you getting? What are you hungry for? What are you ordering? There was a dialogue as the people were out to dinner. Now I just check my phone.
0: Well, now restaurants have the QR code. On, yes on the table. So you you snap that and you you even look at the menu. Yeah options on your phone. Yeah. It so it accommodates what's already there. So pre-recording, we started to have, as always, some inspirational dialogue about things like relationship development, um, attachment concepts, the brain. I like how Rob you've described that as being the connection and the protection of the person. Mm-hmm. Um dealing with conflict, problem solving, and relating all of this to maturity. So how, and Sandy, you said something regarding the reality of the concern of what this could mean in the future.
1: Well, I think it starts even with infancy. I mean, um, parents will come in with their colicky baby. I mean, there's babies who are difficult to soothe. It's important for infants to learn strategies to self-soothe, whether that's sucking on fingers or being snuggled. Um, But now, even with infants, parents are putting a screen in front of the kids and distracting them with a video. So I think um, it starts very early on, but then going forward, these kids are not developing strategies to self-soothe, to problem-solve, Um, what do I do if I have a bad day? I just go home and I blast it on social media and I get my support from my 5,000 closest friends Mm -hmm. as opposed to talking with somebody who, um, maybe offer, be able to offer them some support and help them get through a difficult period of time. So I think, um, children, teens, young adults are, are losing a skill as far as, um, developing resiliency mm-hmm. um it, it's they live from crisis to crisis uh and just don't know how to move from one to another and i think that's rooted in social media
2: when you mentioned attachment sandy i saw some research that um would indicate that the attachment style and that stat attachment theory of um amesworth and, and bobe uh it's developed within the first 12 months of life. So if you're throwing a screen in front of a, a kid to kind of be your babysitter or provide soothing, you're from the get-go, you're starting them off in a way that isn't going to be in the best interest of that child. Right. That's amazing.
1: Yeah. And the American Academy of Pediatrics and other professional groups, you know, basically say, you know, some people try to say no screens before the age of three. Um, now I think they say before the age of two, but I think that's the minority of children nowadays.
2: Oh, yeah, I would think so. You know,
1: the uh, baby Einstein and, you know, all of these things that are going to make my child smarter. Well, (laughs) there's a lot of things with interacting with people that they're missing out on.
0: Human, going back to human connection, human relating, the brain was, was designed for connection. In your, in your point protection, um, I think of, you know, 2d versus 3d or 4d, you know, the whole experience, like I can be with you. I can be present with you. I can see you. I can distinguish all of the features about you. Yeah. I can, I can reach out and touch you. Mm -hmm. Um, I can hear you. I can. So the experience of in person, I'm just curious what that does to human development. When I get to be able to experience without any distraction, the person I'm with.
2: Well, from my vantage point, it teaches emotional presence. It's intimacy. You're using that 4D experience, if you will, to connect. And it's authentic intimacy, not pseudo intimacy. So to Sandy's point about the development, I would, I, w- I look at that and I'm saying, Oh, I'm transposing that in my mind thinking, Oh, these young kids are not going to know how to connect or engage or their development will be compromised because they need that skin to skin touch. Right. It's, it's like, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, even they're doing that now at, at birth, aren't they? It's like you don't have a t-shirt or something between a mom and a daughter or a you know, a mom and a son or a dad, and it's like skin to skin, skin. they're encouraging that. And so to your point, for me, looking at that, I'm thinking, oh, there's a whole list of potential issues that can occur when we do not know how to connect to each other. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're seeing. Mm
0: -hmm. I've often said that the woods are the tuning fork for my soul. Yeah. Right? Right. And so yesterday, after a long week, just a debilitating week of just over-busyness, I shared that with you earlier, um, I did have, I was afforded a couple hours to go into the woods at Fort Custer. Although it was a little bit sloppy, and Odin, my golden retriever, was black <laughs> on the bottom, <laughs> golden on top. It was, really, it was really muddy. But I, I could just tell how I was experiencing the 4D, 3D yeah. experience of the trees, the smell, all my senses were being utilized and I could feel life coming back to me. I I literally, through the hike, could feel life. Got to see deer, got to see my dog chase the deer. Um, I got to smell the warm air. I got to take off my coat because it was too warm. How crazy was that? Nice. And I got to be present with all of that and that brought life back to me. It's like the world I live in steals, but the world that God has given me gives back.
2: And wouldn't that be a good metaphor for what's happening in a, in a, from a developmental perspective too, Sandy? It's like, you know, those experiences are critical for brain formation.
0: Correct?
1: Absolutely.
0: So maybe what you're saying is to, uh, I guess... At 56, my brain is still developing. The idea of neuroplasticity, right? I'm continuing to be redeveloped and created over and over again. Like I've got to, I'm just going to say this. This is true for me. I'm not suggesting I'm an authority on this, but digital usage does not make me better. Yeah. In terms of a developmental asset, it is more of a taskmaster. When I go into it, it takes life away from me. Even when it's necessary, the reality is when I measure its impact on me, it takes life away from me.
2: But you also have before and after comparison. To Sandy's point, when we throw a tablet in front of a one-year-old and we expose them to this technology prior to, they know nothing else. Mm -hmm. So in some ways, I feel like it's, it's like somebody stole a lot of money from me and I don't even recognize it's gone.
0: Are you suggesting, I'm going to push back a little bit. Are you suggesting that the God intended means for authentic development, whatever that is, if the child is exposed primarily to digital, that they'll find some form of life in that? I'm not suggesting that they won't have dependency, but will it produce life for them? And I guess that's subjective. What life is. Yeah. I do realize that I am imposing my own value on what life is.
2: I like the fact that you're pushing back, (laughs) but I, what pops into my mind is this. It creates, it creates a pseudo existence. Yes. Right. It's, it's not what you described walking through the woods is touchable, feelable. It's observable. It's, it's real, it's in the moment, it's authentic, right? But technology creates a pseudo. I'm not really, I'm not there personally with Sandy when she's, you know, in Central America and I'm Zooming her in Kalamazoo. That, yeah. And so, but it does help us to maintain a connection of sorts. So it's, it's not all negative but I'm thinking, to what she was saying, when you throw that tablet in front of a child early in their development, I think it would be unrealistic to think that it's somehow not going to affect their development, for sure. Well, and it,
1: it, it impacts on that relationship, because a parent-child is a two-way street. So, you know, parents learn their children when they cry, or, you know, when they seem frustrated They kind of go through, you know, what's going on and try and solve that and help the child get through a rough spot in a day or in their life. And nowadays it's just, oh, well, it's just much easier to turn on their favorite video and let them watch that as opposed to dealing with whatever their frustration or issues may be.
0: Pause, 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 pause. So the parent is dealing with dilemma, possibly due to their own digital dilemma, Mm -hmm. and their child who has a need, an authentic human need, is too much for the parent to deal with, place the child in front of the tablet, so I can go back to the pseudo means to satisfy my dilemma, digital, wow, that sounds like a recipe for disaster, Well, sorry sorry for painting the dooms, you know, day kind of image here. But if we're talking in a moment, we're going to talk about addiction and dependency. If that's happening and it's affecting human development.
2: Well, I don't know if we're talking about doom and gloom or we're just being honest. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but the research that I look at is suggesting and some of the neuroscientists that are studying these Mm -hmm. phenomenons they don't know where it's going to go, but I don't think they believe it's going to
0: end well. Yeah, I mean, as we talked about last time with the documentary on Netflix, those that worked in the companies to develop the algorithms and the software and the protocol are all saying, ah, we realize now this is not good. Yeah. Sandy, you add some data. You've got a notebook full of writing <laughs> I do not want to miss. Not on my computer. Right. (laughs) It is literally a notebook. Like I can touch it. It's like paper. It's got handwriting. My favorite pen. She's a doctor, so I can't read any of it. But yeah, what are some of the things that, you know, as you have written some notes down, um, fit in this part of our conversation? Um.
1: You know, I think the incredible rise of um, mental health concerns, especially among children and youth, um, has skyrocketed with the advent of technology. Um, There are graphs that will show uh, suicide rates that have, if you go from the year 2000 to 2010, compared that to 2010 to 2020, um, rates have increased about 125%, so more than doubled. And if you look at that, there are graphs that show spikes every time a new social media platform has been developed. Now, it's difficult to say if that's cause and effect, but um, it's hard to argue um, as we see relationships crumbling, um, seeing the incredible need um, here at the center, the number of people looking for care, that um, there seems to be some sort of a correlation.
0: Mm. I'm looking at the graph that you mm-hmm. <coughs> shared with Rob and I, and it's a graph that, as you stated, went from 2000 to 2017. And as I look at it, there's actually a decline in suicidality but from 2000 to just before 2005, and that's when MySpace which was before my time, Mm -hmm. um, came on board. And then there was a steep spike, um, a little bit of regression after that, and then Facebook in roughly 2009, 8, 9. And then Twitter, 2010, you know, the advent, the continued work of smartphone development by 2012. And then, you know, Instagram, 2014, 15, Snapchat, 2016. This graph, folks, that I'm looking at, isn't a slight increase. It's an exponential increase over time in a very short period of time. And like you said, Sandy, this is not, we can't say it's causal cause and effect, but it is certainly convincing my eyebrows to say there's something up here. Mm -hmm. And, um, we are on a runaway train in one respect. Meaning if you watch the polar express, which is Robin, my favorite Christmas movie, There's a scene where the kids get on a runaway boxcar. Yes. And thank God they lived. Every time I watch it, they live.
1: (laughs) So you watch it over and over again. It's so
0: nerve wracking. It's very, (laughs) Hey, next year, let's get matching pajamas and popcorn and we'll watch it together. Um, So Sandy, when we talk about kids, you know, you're a pediatrician. You you understand the science of the brain development and the mental health crisis that you mentioned. Um, how do we now understand addiction? Let's talk about addiction now. The brain and addiction, the cycle that gets conditioned to become, it, it needs this fix, if you will. Can you speak to that?
1: Um, well, the, pr- the pleasure centers of the brain um, are related to dopamine release and so whether it's alcohol or drugs pornography um, and social media you can see that same dopamine release that um, and you the body prefers to seek out pleasure so they go back over and over and over again um, to get that dopamine fix so whether it's a a video game or um, putting something out on social media and checking the likes and how many followers do I have? That's all um, tied into this. And every time they see a positive response, bing, another release of dopamine.
2: Which creates them that feeling of good. Mm-hmm. There's, there, there's a
0: moment of good. Oh, yeah.
1: A feeling good.
0: A feeling good. Yeah, I heard it in the documentary and some things I've read. It's like going to the slot machine, pulling the lever, hoping to get something. Yes. Right? For me, I've been measuring my addictive personality with my phone use since we met last time. Mm-hmm. There's no question I have, I'm driving, and you're not supposed to drive and text. Right. But I pick up my phone to look at what's coming in. Yeah. And I have been now challenging myself, put the phone down. In fact, today, since I forgot my phone, why don't I just put it in my backpack and just leave it there while I'm driving? Yeah. But noticing that addictive nature that's already been created in me, that's not helping me. No. So there's different models out there,
2: but you start with the emotional trigger, which goes to cravings which leads to some ritual behavior. This is all connected, as Sandy's point, to the reward system in the brain. You use, then generally in in most addictive cycles, there's a feeling of guilt or shame, which then has to be somehow addressed, right? That negative feeling, dopamine is a good solution for that negative feeling. So boom, you then, like she mentioned, that cyclical pattern, and it just moves through a person's life and in its wake it leaves a lot of destruction
0: so you're saying when I get a new car that feeling I have is not the new smell car it's really the dopamine I mean, it feels good yeah it feels good or my wife got you know I have to give kudos to myself for a moment we've been married 29 years this year
1: nice. and I got
0: her a birthday present and I usually buy her clothes can you buy sandy clothes that Her perfectly, like the first time, I have in the past, but I don't know that
2: I could today. I am like batting a thousand in the last three, five years. Oh, that's nice! (laughs) Like,
0: I kudos to me.
2: The other question, though, is I'm not sure Sandy
0: would want me to pick out her clothes exactly. (laughs) So, that's not a suggestion. No. But, but really this is across the board, not just digital media. This is all across the board where this dopamine, the brain is being conditioned to feel good. Yeah. Right. Well, to Sandy's point, it works. The brain works the same way,
2: whether it's a chemical addiction or a process addiction. Mm-hmm. So the brain
0: doesn't make good distinctions emotionally. Right. right. Okay. So go back to one of my earlier points. If, I go to the woods and that causes a a good redemptive experience. That was, for me, that's highly valuable. My body experiences life. Maybe dopamine is part of that. It is. Probably Mm -hmm. is. But the pseudo pleasure that comes from media is not there for me. No. And so let's go back to Sandy's point. Kids are growing up on the pseudo intimacy or let's use attachment theory It's a pseudo-attachment to something that's not real. And you're saying, no, this is what you need to attach to. And the question is, is it safe? Is it secure? And do they learn it? Do they learn that the addictive agent is safe and secure? I mean, is it like a learned behavior? Unbeknownst to them, they don't know the difference. I think
2: it would be both and. It's both... Nature and nurture, not one or the other. Right. Right. And so we know that the brain can be formatted, that the technology is rewiring the brain. Yes. But I do think that there's an, to Sandy's earlier point, I would, I would believe that the social dilemma, this, the engagement, the iPad that's sitting in front of the kid does create an illusion and you know, whether they're aware of it or not, that is begins over time to be a replacement for the real thing. And, and the reason I would say that is because that's what we're seeing at the center. Both children, teens and adults do not know how to connect to another
0: person.
1: It's really sad.
0: There it is. I mean, it's always yeah. going to come back to human connection. Yeah. It's always going to come back to human connection.
2: So not only do I, but see, it's changing, it's rewiring. So the technology, if we stay with our language, is creates this pseudo intimacy. So what I see happening is that I prefer that over real contact.
0: That's what I was saying earlier. Yep. It becomes learned, adapted, and it becomes your reality. So you've lost the grounding, authentic measure of what is actually true. Yeah. Yeah. It's a deceptive type of relationship. Yeah. It's
2: it's slowly boiling the culture to death and we don't recognize it. Oh, that's a good metaphor. That's delightful.
1: It's, is it kind of like the frog, you mean, in yeah. the boiling water? Yeah.
2: Yeah. You know, apparently Mm -hmm. if you put it in hot water, it bounces right back out because it can discern, but gradually building it up or heating it up. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. It's kind of like the elephant as a baby, chain it to the tree. Yeah. And then as it grows older, the chain doesn't get any stronger. No. The elephant does, but the elephant has just been, been conditioned that it gets stuck at that tree because it's always learned it can't. It can't get away. That's exact
2: and that's that the same principle as for wild animals. Once they get conditioned in a zoo, they can't go back out into the wild because they'll literally pace the parameters of their cage or even when it wouldn't
0: apply. Yeah, I think I think those are great metaphors. Hmm. How about another perspective? Social media addiction, I'm just reading this out of some research that I've got in front of me. Social media addiction is the fact that the reward center of the brain are most active when people are talking about themselves. In the non-virtual world, it's estimated that people talk about themselves 30 to 40% of the time. However, social media is all about showing off one's life and accomplishments. So people talk about themselves at a staggering 80% of the time. When a person posts a picture, they may receive positive social feedback which stimulates the brain to release that dopamine we've been talking about, rewarding the behavior and perpetuating the social media habit. People love to talk about themselves.
1: And the other thing is, is things are so instant. It's not like, you know, they're sitting there watching a movie and say, oh, you know, this is boring. With the phone, they can instantly change and look for more and more and more positive feedback.
0: I mean, Sandy, endlessly, Mm -hmm. endlessly.
2: Which then then potentially affects our ability to delay gratification, which is necessary for safe relationships, self-control. It affects our ability to deal with pain or pain management which is both physical and emotional, relational, whatever. So there's a number of potential um, negative effects to this. To your point, it's instantaneous. So I'm constantly, you know, whenever I push the button, I get a hit of dopamine. Right. When I push the button, I get a hit of dopamine, and now I'm pushing the button a lot.
0: According to your what you just read, that's that's mind-boggling. It's a- parent conditioning, right? We just keep conditioning the system, which reinforces the behavior. The brain always asks for the behavior that gives it what it wants, not being able to distinguish what is real or imagined. It just knows it feels good. Yeah. So I think what we're saying is you are using something that's illegitimate because it's not giving you something that really is good. The brain can't distinguish that. Yeah. And if you mismanage, if you mismanage that and you
2: don't somehow find a way to um, contain it or police yourself, then you're getting a steady diet and that constant hit of dopamine at some point in time, you no longer control it. It controls you. That high controls
0: you. Wow. Cocaine, pornography, alcohol, shopping, whatever. If it has a hold of you, so therefore we say something like, okay, do a test, abstain from something like in the Netflix documentary, the the teenager boy um, takes a challenge from his mom. He's She's going to pay for the broken screen if he can do without his phone for like, I think it was four days, five days, six days, something like that. And he lasted like a significant amount of time, but eventually he gets hooked and, and, and breaks the covenant because he couldn't handle it. The question I think is, and this is what I've been doing as my own personal experience experiment, is I've been testing myself to see how dependent I am on it, and I'm just trying to be mindful. It, I, yeah. I just want to be. I want to learn. You know, can I, for example, when I'm with my wife, make a suggestion? Hey, we're going to put our phones away, like off and away, and we're going to spend the next two hours together without any disruption. Um, let's just let's just see what happens. And then let's talk about it after we do it. Find out what we think about that. What did we notice? What did we like? What did we not like? Does that sound like a possible solution? Oh,
2: definitely. Mm -hmm. It's a great experiment. Like in the movie, there were two, right? The boy was challenged when the mom took her daughter's phone away and locked it up. She broke the case. To get back into
0: that phone. Within maybe minutes. maybe <laughs> five minutes. Yes. She was out she was left dinner at the table, broke the case and, and went up. All right. So we're gonna close here because it's already there. We're already it just like evaporates, time evaporates. <laughs> but I wanna devote our our next part, the the last and third part of this series on what we are ending on. It's talking about this is here. There's nothing that's pushing this away. Hinging off the idea of maturity, seeking intimacy and in human relationship, how can we be more mindful and how can we manage digital consumption in a way that helps us to be the healthiest version of ourselves? We're going to talk about that next time. I'm interested. Okay. Sounds good. And um, as we finish our, our time together, as always, um, any closing thoughts?
1: I think it will, it will be a challenge for each one of us. Um, as you say, technology is here to stay. Um, and we can't say that technology inherently is bad. So I think trying to come up with a way that we can live with it, um, promote healthy people, healthy relationships, um, and trying to learn to limit technology and its negative impact um, it's going to be a challenge for everyone.
0: Sage wisdom from the doctor. I know. I just want to
2: say what she said. <laughs> I, I, this is I'm going to transpose what she said and echo it. I think we have to find a way for me to control the technology as
0: opposed to the t- technology controlling me. I think that's well said. Yeah. Yeah, this is going to be a journey and again the context of our podcast is just to be mindful no judgment we're not trying to tell you what to value or what to believe we're just having a conversation sharing our perspectives hopefully this is provoking your own perspective on the topic of digital usage we appreciate you listening to our podcast as always try to promote this because world domination is our goal We want to be famous.
1: You are. In our
0: own minds. Thanks so much. Have a great day wherever that may lead you. Blessings.